Well, first of all, it's good to be back with you, Lakes Free Church. And if we haven't met, my name is Jason Carlson. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm, I apologize for not uh, introducing myself earlier when I was up front. But uh, it's great to be back. I was gone uh, the last two Sundays, if you recall, and I want to thank both Pastor Stephen and Pastor Justin for filling in so well, uh, taking us uh, through our series in John chapter 8. And I had a great time away, though. My family and I were down in the state of Georgia visiting my in-laws. I went down there the day after our Christmas Eve service and spent the week down there and had a a great time. And uh, so I want to say hi to my uh, in-laws today. They're probably watching online this morning. And again, thanks for hosting us and uh, giving us a great Christmas visit. Today, friends, we're going to be picking up in uh, John chapter 9 with, uh, with a great topic, a great theme. It's a theme that's already come up in John chapter 8, where uh, Jesus has already declared himself to be the light of the world. And now today, we're going to see one of the great miracles Jesus performed that, that speaks to this reality of, of Jesus being the light of the world. It was interesting, as I was uh, studying my sermon this week, I came across an article uh, from NPR, National Public Radio, that uh, shared a really fascinating story uh, about a spacecraft that NASA sent out a number of years ago to study the planet Pluto. It's called the New Horizons spacecraft, and uh, years ago, it, it hit Pluto, circled Pluto, took images of Pluto. Uh, if you remember, Pluto was then demoted from a planet to, uh, to a dwarf planet. And, uh, and now, though, the New Horizons spacecraft uh, unexpectedly is continuing to function and is going further and further out into our galaxy. Uh, it's, it's now the farthest thing any, any humans have ever sent out into outer space. Today, it is 4 billion miles away from Earth, 50 times farther away from the sun than planet Earth is. I mean, it is reaching the farthest outer reaches of our galaxy. And NASA scientists are taking advantage of this ongoing functioning spacecraft that's continuing to relay information back to planet Earth. And uh, one of the things that they were curious to study was just how dark is outer space and, and, and how much light is out there in outer space. And, and interestingly, uh, in taking images of outer space, the furthest reaches of our galaxy, 4 billion miles away, they, they ended up taking images of all the known light sources in our galaxy and all the galaxies beyond. And what they did then is after they took these images, they began to computer, using computer image technology, they began to eliminate all the known sources of light in our universe. They began to remove all the stars, all the galaxies, all known sources of light. And you know what they discovered? They discovered that there is light in our universe that they can't account for. Light in our universe that they can't explain. In fact, the the study says, the article says, the amount of light coming from mysterious sources was equal to all the light coming from the known galaxies. There's light out in the universe that they can't explain. One One of the astronomers involved in the study he says, the study is saying that there's so much light outside of galaxies that, that there's light outside of galaxies as there is inside of our galaxies. There's as much out of our galaxies as there's inside of our galaxies. He says, this is a pretty tough pill to swallow. He says, for 400 years, astronomers have been studying visible light and the sky in a serious way, and yet somehow 
we apparently missed half the light in the universe. And then the article asked the question, so where does the light come from? They don't have an answer yet. They don't know. Now, friends, I've got a humble suggestion. Genesis chapter 1, we read, In the beginning God created, and God said, Let there be light. And the light separated from the darkness. You know, friends, we may discover a source for this mysterious light one day, but we know that behind all of the light in our universe is our Creator God who says, let there be light. I I thought that article was really awesome when I came across it. And, And what's even more awesome than this story of this unexpected, unexplained light, what's even more awesome, friends, is that the God who said, let there be light, has broke into our world came into our, into our planet 2,000 years ago to reveal himself to us, to make himself known to us, to, to reveal and, and shine his light among us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the awesome light of Jesus Christ, the light that shines. We're in John chapter 9 this morning, verses 1 through 41. I want to read this story for us. It's a great story one of Jesus' great miracles, and it's actually one of the signs in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at what this sign explains and points us to here together this morning. We're going to look at three observations following our reading today. Let me read this for us. You can follow along in your own Bible or on the screens behind me. John says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Remember, Jesus has just been teaching in the temple. He's been celebrating the the Feast of Tabernacles. He's revealed himself as the great I am, the light of the world. And now Jesus leaves the temple. The light of the world goes out into the world. And John says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind, and now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. 
until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Why is this an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What a powerful story. In this passage this morning, we see Jesus, the light of the world. I want to make three observations from our passage this morning that that speak to the nature of the awesome light of Christ. Who he is and, and what he offers each and every one of us here this morning. The first observation that we see in our passage this morning is that the awesome light of Christ is a light that shines, a light that shines brightly. Last week when my family and I were down in Georgia, one of the, one of the fun things we got to do on our visit to Georgia was visit a gold mine a gold mine near where my in-laws live. Uh, The city of Dahlonega, Georgia, where my in-laws live, was the site of the first gold rush in American history. If you've ever heard that that famous phrase, there's gold in them dar hills, remember that? That came from Dahlonega, Georgia, calling people to come to the first gold rush there in the southern end of the Appalachian Mountains. And, And so we went and we visited one of these historic gold mines where some of the major gold finds in the history of the United States were found. We, we went on this tour of this gold mine. We went 200 feet underground into a gold mine that ran for over four miles under the, 
under the cliffs and caves of the southern Appalachian Mountains. It was an incredible, incredible experience visiting this gold mine. During the tour of the gold mine, the the man leading us on the tour, he took us down this long shaft way back into this long cavern, and, and he wanted us to understand the conditions that the miners used to work in. And he talked about how they didn't have electricity, they worked by candlelight. And so he shut off the electric lights and he lit a single candle and explained how, can you imagine working in these conditions? Each of these miners were given four of these tiny little candles that had to last them all day, their entire shift, working by candlelight. And he said, can you imagine what would happen when you ran out of light, when the candles burned out? And to show us how dark it was in the conditions they worked in, he blew out the candle. And guess what we saw there in the depths of that dark mine? Friends, it's 2021. We saw a dozen teenagers' cell phone lights light up. <laughs> kind of ruined the effect of the whole thing. But you know, it was interesting as I was thinking of those cell phones that all of a sudden lit up the darkness of that mine. It reminded me of our passage this morning that declares Jesus to be the light of the world. Jesus in verse 5 says, I am the light of the world. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he shined brilliantly into the darkness of this world. We saw Pastor uh, Stephen speak about this reality back in John chapter 8. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but has the light of life. Jesus is the light of life, friends. And here at the outset of our passage, here in verses 1 through 12, we find the light of Christ bringing illumination to three critical truths. The first thing we see here in verses 1 through 12 is we see that the light of Christ illuminates the error of legalistic religion. The error of legalistic religion. In verse 2, Jesus' disciples seeing this blind man sitting outside of the temple begging. The disciples look to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now the disciples' question here reveals a a common legalistic outlook on life in Jesus' day. Uh, An outlook that's really not all that uncommon to our own day and age, friends. This outlook was fostered by the Jewish religious authorities and their legalistic religious viewpoint. And, and here, Jesus illuminates for his disciples the error of legalistic religion. Well, what is the error of legalistic religion, friends? Well, well, three things I want to highlight for us today about legalistic religion, the, the religion of the Jewish authorities that were always butting heads with Jesus. The legalist says, number one, that we earn standing with God by our works and effort. Okay, so, so we earn or merit favor with God by the good things that we do. The legalist then says pridefully that, that we can actually manipulate God to gain blessings and favor from him. So, so you know what, if I just do good enough good things, well then God owes me. I deserve his blessings. And then the legalist is also quick to judge another sin while failing to recognize their own. Now, friends, we see all of these realities in the disciples' question to Jesus about this blind man. 
They, they see this man blind, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because obviously we know he's blind, so either he did something wrong in the womb as a baby, or his parents did something wrong, but, but no one's born blind by chance or by accident. I mean, this, was, this must be God's judgment on this man. And if they hadn't been so wicked or sinful, then he would be, you know, fully healthy and be able to see. And so the disciples are using this legalistic outlook to judge this blind man. Now, friends, we obviously know that sin does have consequences, right? Sin has consequences, and sometimes our consequences even lead to to physical illness, But Jesus' response here, friends, don't miss this. Jesus' response here reveals that we should never assume an essential connection as the legalist does between our sin and our illness or our disability or our trials. And so Jesus blows away this flawed legalistic worldview by replying to his disciples. Look again at verse 3. Jesus answered them, It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Friends, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is revealing here that God had a sovereign purpose for this man's affliction There was more going on here in this man's story than the disciples understood. That God had a plan and purpose for this man's blindness. and, and, And that God was going to use this man. God was going to use this man to be the vessel through which Jesus would display his glory as the light of the world. This man wasn't blind as a result of sin. This man wasn't blind as a result of chance or fate. But no, God had a sovereign plan and destiny for this man's blindness. That the glory of God might be displayed through him. You know, friends, when we think about that reality, I want to ask you this morning, how do you view your trials and afflictions today? How do you view your hardships today? Do you trust that God has a plan and purpose even when you don't understand? Even in the midst of the hardships and the struggles and the pain, friends, do you see these trials and tribulations as opportunities to display God's glory? Trusting by faith that God has a plan and purpose. See, friends, God can do powerful things even through our trials and pain if we'll simply trust in him. We need to trust in him. And and this leads me to the, the second truth that Christ illuminates for us here in these opening verses. Secondly, Christ shines hope upon our trials and pain. Friends, our God is a healer. Do you believe that? Our God is a healer. And we see that reality once again in Jesus' response to the blind man here in verses 6 through 7. Having said these things to his disciples, Jesus then spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Jesus healed this blind man. 
Now, one of the interesting questions about this passage, when we look at the way Jesus healed this blind man, some people sometimes ask, well, well, why did Jesus heal this guy the way he did, right? I mean, why, why spit in the ground and make mud and put it on his eyes and then send him to this pool? I mean, why didn't Jesus just say, your eyes are open, you can see? I mean, remember we saw just a couple weeks ago, the, the invalid, the lame man, Jesus says, stand and walk, pick up your mat, and the guy did it, right? I mean, Jesus could have snapped his fingers, So what was going on here with all the mud and the spit and the pool? Friends, the the scholars debate and differ on what was actually taking place in this miracle, but I want to suggest we we can probably highlight at least three things that were going on here. The first thing that we can see here in the way Jesus performed this miracle, number one, he was demonstrating his power as the I am remember in the last two weeks, Jesus in chapter 8 had declared himself to be the I am. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He was declaring himself to be the creator God. And friends, do you remember back in Genesis chapter 2, God tells us that he formed man from the dust of the ground. And so here, Jesus, in an act of recreation, in an act of restoration, of of bringing sight where there was once only blindness, Jesus makes mud from the dust of the ground, echoing his act of creation in the book of Genesis. We, We also see here that Jesus was probably demonstrating, once again, his authority as Lord of the Sabbath. Remember, what was the Pharisees' problem with this miracle? The problem, again, for the Pharisees is Jesus is working on the Sabbath, right? And remember, I talked about this a few weeks ago. One of the rules of the Sabbath, one of the crazy rules of the Sabbath is you don't spit on the ground. Why? Because if your spit hits the dirt and makes a furrow in the dirt while you're plowing, and that's work, right? So, I mean, here again, Jesus is basically saying, look, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. All right, I can do anything I want on the Sabbath. My father's been working this whole time, and I am working this whole time. We saw Jesus say that to the Pharisees back in chapter 5. And so Jesus intentionally, on the Sabbath, spits in the dirt, working, plowing, making mud, putting it on the man's eyes to once again declare, look, I can do whatever I want to do on the Sabbath. And your guys' view of the Sabbath is completely distorted. But then thirdly, I think Jesus was doing this as a way of testing the Jews. Testing them to see if they would once again reject God's blessings. There's an interesting passage if you want to take a look at it in Isaiah chapter 8. Back in the Old Testament, the nation of Assyria was coming in judgment against the northern kingdom of Israel. They were knocking on the doors of Israel and the prophet Isaiah says to the Jewish people that judgment was coming upon them because they had rejected God's blessings. One of those blessings was the waters of Shiloh. Shiloh is the Hebrew word in Greek which is translated Siloam, the pool that Jesus sent this man to. And Jesus is highlighting here in this miracle that just like the Jews in the Old Testament have rejected all of God's blessings and instead of following the Lord had chased after pagan gods, God had blessed them with the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land overflowing with springs like the waters of Shiloh, and they had rejected all of God's blessings and now judgment was coming upon them. And now Jesus sending this man to the pool of Siloam, the pool of Shiloh, is once again testing the Jews. Are you going to reject God's blessing once again? 
And will you then face God's judgment? Friends, regardless of whatever this symbolism is in this act of healing, the bottom line that we can be sure of here is simply this. In his helplessness, the blind man found healing and hope in the awesome power of Jesus. Jesus healed the blind man. And I want to tell you something this morning. I want to tell those of you watching at home this morning, the same Jesus who healed the blind man here in chapter 9 can also shine his healing hope into your life, no matter your trials and pain. I've seen Jesus bring healing to people struggling with addiction. I've seen Jesus bring healing to, to people whose bodies were riddled with disease. I've seen Jesus bring hope and healing to, to grieving widows who thought their world had come to an end at the death of their spouse. Our God is a God of hope and healing. Now, friends, understand this. God doesn't always give us the miracle that we think we need. But I promise you, He always does give us what He knows we need. And sometimes, God's healing and hope and His miracles in our lives come in the form of daily graces to continue walking by faith, trusting in Him day by day, even in the midst of our hardships and afflictions, until we experience our ultimate healing, whether that be in this life or in eternity. But friends, you can count on God. He is a healer. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. The third way that Jesus shines the light upon this situation this morning in chapter 9, these first verses, Jesus pierces our darkness, we see, with a ray of life. I mentioned this earlier, but this healing of the blind man is recognized by scholars as the fifth sign in John's gospel. We, we've talked about these signs in the past. Remember, what, is, what are the signs for John in his gospel? The signs are more than just miracles. They're more than just raw displays of Christ's power and authority. The signs, friends, are really miracles with a message. We've seen these miracles with a message already over the last few weeks. We saw Jesus turn water into wine, the first sign. We saw him heal the official son. We saw him feed the 5,000. We saw him heal the layman, and now he heals the blind man. And in each of these signs, there was a meaning or a message that went deeper than just the miracle. And the message of this miracle, friends, is that Jesus has the power to heal our blindness, and not just physical blindness. He has the power certainly to heal us of our physical afflictions, but even greater than our physical afflictions, our physical blindness, the more significant blindness that Jesus came to heal us of is our spiritual blindness. Friends, do you realize that this world is trapped in spiritual blindness? This world is is trapped in darkness. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, tells us that the God of this world, our enemy, our adversary, Satan, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Our world is lost in blindness. 
The Apostle Paul goes on and in the book of Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 21, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul goes on in verse 22, professing to be wise. They became fools. We live in a blind world, friends. A world lost in darkness. We've seen so many examples of this just in the past year. We've seen, for example, lawless riots and looting and violence across our country in the name of politics and social justice and most ironically, tolerance. We've seen our president add fuel to the fire through his words. And now in the last two days, we've seen tech companies censoring our words, taking away our our liberties of freedom of speech from conservatives and activists they disagree with politically and, and spiritually. We saw this past Monday in the opening session of the 117th Congress of our nation, At the end of the opening day, the chaplain, who also happens to be one of our United States congressmen, closed the session in prayer, praying, amen, and a woman. That got a lot of attention in the media, but what I thought was even more of a travesty than that was that he prayed, if you heard his prayer, he prayed, and I quote, to the monotheistic god, Brahman, who is the god of the Hindus, and God by all other names. Utter blasphemy, friends. God will not be mocked. The Speaker of the House passing the new rules for the 117th Congress this past week removed all gender distinctions from from official congressional language. Removing gender terms like male and female, removing familial terms like mother and father from all official congressional reports. Why? In order to become more gender neutral and inclusive to the LGBTQ plus community. We've seen millions of people this past year worshiping at the altars of politics and science instead of the creator who ordains and superintends all politics and science. Friends, politics and science are great tools, but they are horrible gods. Horrible gods. We've seen governments around the world imposing restrictions and penalties on houses of prayer instead of pointing their people to prayer. And probably the greatest travesty of all, we have a culture today and a media that laments the 1.8 million COVID deaths this past year while batting an eye at the 42.6 million babies who were aborted around the world this past year. Friends, do you know abortion was the leading cause of death around the world this past year? 42.6 million babies aborted. We live in a sin-sick world, friends. 
a world that is spiritually blind, a world that celebrates perversity and revels in wickedness, a world that desperately needs the light of Jesus. Friends, we all need the light of Jesus to shine into our depravity. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Jason, you know, you're talking about wickedness and depravity. I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, I'm basically a good person, you might be thinking to yourself. But here's the problem with that, friends. Your view of yourself isn't the standard. God's view of you is the standard. And what God says about us, about each and every one of us, is found in Romans 3.23, where the Apostle Paul tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and we fall short of God's glory. And friends, there's only one remedy for our spiritual blindness. And that's the light of Jesus Christ. That can pierce through our darkness and open our eyes to the reality of God's saving grace. In John chapter 1 verse 4, John tells us, In him, in Jesus was life, and the life of Jesus was the light of men. Jesus is the light, friends. This is the meaning behind the miracle in our passage this morning. He is the only light that can pierce through our spiritual darkness. He's the light our world needs. He's our only hope. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, have you embraced the light of Jesus? Have you allowed the light of the gospel to shine into the darkness of your heart? Christians here this morning, those of us who have been transformed by the light of the gospel, are we praying, are we bombarding the throne room of heaven with our prayers, asking that the light of Christ would illuminate the darkness of this world, a world that is dark and growing darker by the day? And there is one hope, friends. It's not politics. It's not a stronger economy. It's not a vaccine. There's only one hope for this world, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the one, friends. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Have you put your hope in Jesus Christ? I want to close in prayer this morning, and we're going to ask our Heavenly Father to shine the light of Christ upon our world today upon our hearts as his people, upon the hearts of our friends and neighbors who may not know him, upon the hearts of our leaders and our politicians, because there's no other hope for this world than Jesus Christ. Join me in a word of prayer, friends. Heavenly Father, we look to you as the one true light of this world. You are the creator God who in the beginning said, let there be light. And then, Lord, you as the creator of light broke into human history 2,000 years ago to reveal your awesome light to humanity, to a world that had, had wandered into darkness and had gotten lost and, and was in, engulfed in spiritual blindness and all of a sudden a ray of hope shone into this world when you became a man to make yourself known and to show us the path that leads to life. As John says, in you, Lord, is life. In your life is the light of men. And Lord, we need your light today more than ever as a nation. We are divided, Lord, 
We are broken. We are a nation that is, is lost in our blindness, wandering and stumbling through the darkness, grasping at straws for, for hope. And, and all the while, Lord, your bright light shines into this world, offering us guidance, offering us direction, offering us illumination. And yet so many miss that light. So many reject that light. Lord God, I pray that we as your people would look to you first and foremost as our only source of hope. That we would be faithful in sharing the hope that is found in you with our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers. Lord, help us get back to that first priority of keeping the main thing, the main thing which is testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is our one true hope in this world. And God, may you do a work of transformation in this nation. God, may you spare this nation from judgment like you brought against the nation of Israel when the Assyrians conquered them as a result of their rejection of your many blessings. Lord, may that not be true of this nation. May it not be too late, God, for us to turn back to you in repentance and faith. God, may your church lead the way in that. May we start here at Lakes Free in leading the way in that. You are the light of the world, Jesus. If there's anybody here this morning, if there's anybody watching online this morning who has never put their hope and trust in you, who's never received the forgiveness of sin, that, that your blazing light of gospel truth will shine upon our hearts and, and blast away the darkness of our hearts, Lord. If there's somebody who's watching or here this morning who's never received that gift of new life, I pray that they would confess their sins this morning. I pray that they would turn to you and I pray that they would feel the heat and warmth of your illuminating light shine brightly upon their heart, overwhelming them with forgiveness and joy and peace and hope. All that is promised to us who trust in you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. In your precious name we pray, amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. And at the conclusion of our benediction, our ushers will dismiss you row by row. So please remain standing or seated until ushers come and dismiss you. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you, friends. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. 
And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.